And the, the 11 that's going to be sharing this weekend, we have really been walking with them, for, you know, several of them in, in, in many different fashions. But in this specific way, we've been walking with them in a couple, about a couple of months, preparing them for this. And they're each gifted. We're each going to be tremendously blessed. And we want to see people raised up, an army. It's never been one, two people. God wants to raise an army. And this is what I'm going to do real quick before the first one comes. If you would tell your name and your title and uh, share that with everyone, that would be wonderful. D- title of the message? Okay. My name is Austin. Uh, title of the message is Depression is Not Your Portion. Um, I'm Jelaine Carlson, and my title is Getting Into the Weeds. Hi, I'm Gabrielle, and my title is Love is Love. First off, this is perfect. I don't have to waste seconds telling you my title in the message. <laughs> I'm Robbie, and mine is You Can Trust God. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Hey, would you put your hands together for them right now? Come on, cheer them on tonight. How's it going? I don't know where that clock is, but uh, uh, my name is Austin. Uh, I've been here for, I've been here at Heart of the City for about um, 12 years now. And my goodness, it's been such an honor and a blessing to call this, this church my home and to grow here. It's been such an honor. And, and it's also an honor that our lead team would, would even consider me for a role tonight. So I just want to thank you guys uh, for this opportunity. But, but I only have eight minutes, so time to get into it. So the topic is actually a topic that was requested several times, but I found it interesting because not once was there a specific question tied to the topic. It was just the topic itself, uh, and that is depression. And that is a wide sprawling topic, right? I was like, God, I got eight minutes. Like, what do you want me to say on depression in eight minutes? And he said, he just put it on my heart. He said, just just preach on what you went through and what I did in that. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So um, the, the title is Depression Is Not Your Portion, as I said. Now, depression, little backstory, is something that I struggled with a lot before I got saved. I was in the world, so it kind of made sense, right? I was dealing with the guilt, the shame, the regret that was constantly coming at me from living in the world, even suicidal thoughts. But then in 2012, I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus and he set me free from depression. But here's the thing. That's not the depression I'm here to talk to you tonight about. What happens when you're walking with Jesus and then depression hits again? What happens in that scenario? And so that's what happened to me is a couple of years later, I'm walking with Jesus, I'm learning, I'm growing and I'm still making mistakes, of course, right? But then depression hits again. And it was so confusing to me because I could point out all the blessings that I had. I could say, this is what I have to be thankful for, for. This is why I'm loved. I could point it all out. So it didn't make sense when the depression came back. It didn't make any sense. It took my joy. It took my peace. It took my energy. And it came without notice. Now, here's the thing. Emptiness was a part of that, right? But here's the thing. Emotions are valid, okay? You need to hear that tonight. But they are not permanent, Okay, they are not permanent. A prophet, Jeremiah, who was a prophet, a man of God, dealt with depression in the Bible. We look at Lamentations 3, and I'm just going to kind of skip around here. But it says in verse 1, Lamentations 3, it says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. 
Verses five and eight, he says, he has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Verses 17 and 18 say, my soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. One translation, verse 20 says, my soul is downcast within me. Now this is a man of God. This is a prophet of God. So I just wanna encourage you, if you're in the room tonight, you're feeling depression, that doesn't mean you're far from God. Okay, this is a prophet of God. Here's the thing, the situation feels hopeless, but because emotions are temporary, we're not gonna make permanent decisions or permanent conclusions based on temporary emotions, right? Now here's the thing, often the first step, the first step, I gotta keep moving, the first step to dealing with emotions is to acknowledge them. Jeremiah acknowledges his emotions and I get to a place where finally I do. I say, God, I'm empty, I'm broken, I'm depressed again and it doesn't make any sense, I'm confused. How can I be able to point at all of my blessings and still feel this way? Why am I here again? Why is it back? I tried to blame the devil. <laughs> I tried to say, oh God, the devil's winning. God was like, this ain't the devil, this is you. I said, come on, what are you talking about? He said, this depression will be used for clarity. And I said, okay, this depression doesn't even make any sense. How is it gonna be used for clarity? And he said, because if you can point to all your blessings and you think they are what's supposed to bring you joy and happiness, then you are confused. You see, he had to restore clarity that freedom from brokenness and depression comes not from the blessings, but from the blesser. It is not the things of, it is not the things he gives us. It is not the things he does for us. It is him alone that fills us up. Now I had lost my focus. I had lost my focus. I got so distracted by the great things that I forgot about the source of them. God took that depression used it to bring clarity and proper focus back to him when I submitted it to him. That's when freedom came again, when I submitted it to him. Depression was never the portion that he had for me. Now let's look back at Lamentations 3. We'll look back at Jeremiah. I don't know if we have that scripture, but verses 21 through 24 say, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. There it is. He is immediately bringing his focus back to God. It took me a little longer, but this is him bringing focus back to God. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassion never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now listen to this. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Notice he says, Lord, he does not say the things the Lord is gonna give me or the things the Lord is doing for me. He says, the Lord directly is his portion. Now notice another thing he says, I say to myself, sometimes you just gotta preach to yourself, friends. Depression is not my portion. The Lord is my portion. We see this all over scripture. Oh soul, why are you so downcast? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the Lord is my portion. His presence is my inheritance. You see, your emotions are valid. Your emotions are valid, but they are not permanent. You feel hopeless and you feel confused. And trust me, I get that. But with God on the throne, there's always hope. 
there is always hope. So if I leave you with nothing else tonight, remember this, depression is not your portion. The Lord is. Now wait, <laughs> thank you. Jumped it slightly. So let us, let, us, let us do that. Let us follow the countless examples we see in scripture and bring our full attention back directly to God himself not just the things that he does for us. And then we can preach over our emotions, over our fears, over our doubts, our confusion, our insecurities. Let us take the time to preach over the depression that God is and will always be faithful to deliver us out of. Amen. Thank you. timer has gone, so I better get started. Um, first, I do want, I want to thank the preaching team for asking me to do this. I've, I feel so blessed and honored to be a part of this New Voices team this weekend. Um, I'm super excited for the things that everybody has to share. And I also want to thank my husband for being an encourager to me, my sounding board and my covering and all of this as I've been planning. Um, he's helped me a lot. Um, and then I'm just going to jump right into it. So we're going to start with our scripture, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather, but, but, but gather the wheat into my barn. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the life that it brings to us today from so long ago, but it changes our hearts today, Lord, and I just ask that you would speak through me this evening, that I would touch people's hearts with exactly what you want them to hear. Okay, I have one more thing I want to read. I'm sorry, I'm doing a lot of reading, but I think um, I really like this story, so... A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shops, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book, but happened to see that the man sitting beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, <laughs> lost my spot, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. So she munched the cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by by thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I would blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered, what would he do? 
With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed to the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat. Then she sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair, the others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. So as Christians, we are called by Jesus to uphold a standard of excellence, right? But I sometimes think that as Christians, we also forget that we still sin. And when we start to focus on just this standard, what we start to do is focus on the standard and forget about the person, right? And um, I want to go back to Matthew and kind of unpack that the parable. So Jesus, a little bit further down in that chapter in verses 36 through 43, talks about the meaning of this parable. The field is the world, the good seed is the believers, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. The harvest is the end of the age, and when it is time for the harvest, the weeds will be destroyed and the harvest will be glorious. So the principle we see here is that God wants good things to grow, right? But he allows negative things to grow for the sake of the end result. And I see the same principle in my own life as I was reading through this. Sometimes I get caught up in sin, whether it's mine or someone else's. And God is challenging me. Am I focusing on the sin? Or am I focusing on growing and changing and having a healthy field to harvest? When we focus on the weeds, we actually damage the rest of the crop. If we start going in and just picking out all the weeds, we trample over the harvest that's growing, and we miss out on what God's really wanting to do. When we focus on the harvest or the heart or the person, we can see real change and people know that they are loved. Uh, I just finished reading in Judges and uh, 1 Samuel, and in, this, in both of these books, you see the Israelites falling away from God, crying out to God. God provides a judge or a king in Samuel. They do a lot better, and then they fall away again. And it goes over and over and over and over again. And the thing that really stood out to me is that God wasn't surprised. He didn't act like, I can't believe you did this. And that's what we do as Christians sometimes, right? Now, there are consequences, and there are consequences throughout all of these books. So I'm not saying that there are not, that we shouldn't have standards and that we shouldn't have consequences. But we need to be there for each other. 
The next time you see a believer struggling, think about them as a person and not as the action. Address them from that standpoint. Cultivate what God is growing in them. Don't just pick them apart. Who in the cookie story are you? Are you the woman who quickly assumed she knew the situation and held fast to her principles? Not believing the best? Or are you a man who gladly shares the last cookie with a complete stranger? With a smile, even. We are called to a higher standard as Christians. That is true. But we are called to love and care for each other. And I believe we can do both. I'm Gabrielle, and the title for mine today is Love is Love, and I just want to get right into it and say, well, first of all, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for trusting me. I love our church. I love Heart of the City, and um, I just want to say I'm so honored, and I want to start by saying I lived the homosexual lifestyle for seven years of my life, and that might sound shocking, but it, it is shocking, honestly, so... Um, yeah, I live that lifestyle, and honestly, I have a sister who invited me to come up to Idaho. I lived in Southern California, and I walked into this room, and I heard the voice of God, and I heard God calling me, and I went back home to California, and I packed up my stuff, and in six months, I had moved here, and when I moved here, I, I actually moved with my girlfriend at the time, and I was like, oh, we're going to do long distance. I don't know, but I had no decisions besides I know that God's calling me, and I have to go. And so I came up and I was like, okay, we're going to do long distance, or I don't know how God feels about this. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Like, I don't know what I believe. I believe love is love. I don't know what. And then I feel like God told me, I need you to step out of actively living the homosexual lifestyle. And so I broke up with this girl and for the next two years, just came to church, read my word, followed God. And honestly, I struggled so hard. I fell into sin. I fell into lust. I dealt with sin. I dealt with temptation. And I was like, I'm never going to get out of this. And I, I kind of resolved to believing that this was my identity and I would just have to rely on God. And that was always going to be fighting against this sin that had me, that I was always going to be like, okay, I just have to resist the temptation. I have to resist. And in December of 2020, I got COVID and I was stuck at home for two weeks and it was actually Christmas time. And so my family went home to California for Christmas and I was home alone. And I decided that I was just going to spend some time with the Lord and I read this book called Love Secrets, and it's all, it's all about God's love. And as I was reading it, I, I remember sitting on the floor and just encountering the tangible presence of God in a way that I've never encountered before. Um, I felt like electricity filled my whole body. 
end, I, I saw Jesus just holding me and then I saw him completely just dissolve into me. And I feel like what he told me was, I'm transforming what you believe love to be. And I think that now I look back and I say that this is the day that I was actually saved. This is the day that I was turned into a new creation because from this point on, I didn't deal with those same things. I knew that love was something different than what I had believed it to be all along. That love laid down its life for me. That love went up on a cross and said, I take your sin, I take your shame, and I'm taking it from you and transforming you. And from this point forward, I realized that it was Jesus. It was Jesus Christ and Him crucified and that He transformed me. And so today I'm here because you asked for it. You asked to hear about LGBTQ. You asked to hear about same-sex attraction. What do we do about the woke church? What do we do when we want to love people well who are stuck in this? And so I want to address this humbly to you. And so I want to talk about three different people groups. The first people group is those of you, probably most of you in this room who are Christian and are asking, how do I love the LGBTQ community well? And what I would say to you is that first of all, the act of homosexuality per the Bible is a sin. In fact, the Bible says that it's an abomination, but it also says that pride is an abomination, that a lying tongue is an abomination, that when you gossip, it's an abomination. So when you look at the word of God, it puts us all on an equal playing field. And so when you look at the gays and you think, oh, that sin is worse than mine, it's not the truth. Your sin is right here. And it, pla it places us all in the same place where we have to look up and say, I I need a savior. I need Jesus and I have to be rescued by him. And when you see him in this way, you can say, I can love them well. And what I'm talking about are the trans, the gays that are pushing their agendas. They're trying to teach your children in school. And I get it. You're feeling something even right now as I talk about this. But God sees those people and says, I place value in them. I made them for a purpose. I have a call on their life. They're chosen. And this is the way that we have to look at them. And so the second people I want to talk about are those who are same, dealing with same-sex attraction. And what I would say to you is, first of all, that there's hope, that there's hope for you, that I get it, that you're not alone, that I get the shame. I get the feeling of feeling like you don't belong. You don't know what it looks like to follow the Lord when you know your identity is so planted in something different. And I would just say to you that in Christianity, it took me two years to encounter God in a way that I was like, Oh, I get it. All the things I've been reading are finally transforming me. I'm encountering the Jesus that walked with his disciples and said, I am the word that you read. I am the living God in front of you. And I want to tell you that that is your portion, that he is going to encounter you in the same way that if you're here, you obviously believe. And I would say, just take yourself into the bedroom with Jesus and just get to know him. Look into his eyes and say, Jesus, transform me. I, I did a sermon where I talked about how Jacob wrestled with God and God called him Israel. He said, you're a new nation. I call you Israel. And this is what I would say to you. Wrestle with God. When you're struggling and saying, this is my identity, tell God and let him transform you. And the third group of people I want to talk to are maybe not people in this room. Maybe there are, but those of you who maybe bend and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also think that this is okay. I also think that this lifestyle is okay, that this sin is okay. And what I would say to you is 
Love is laying down your life for somebody else. And I get it. When you bend, it's because you say like, I don't want to seem like I'm intolerant or I'm like a bigot. I don't want to seem like I don't care. But the reality is that sin leads to death. And if you actually love someone, if you actually care, you have to tell them the truth. Jesus says, if you make any one of these little ones stumble, it's better that a millstone be tied around your neck and you be thrown into the sea. And I know these words are harsh, but the truth is if you love them, you rescue them. So I would say that you need to tell the truth in love, but spend the time with the Lord so that you know how to love people well. Because if you don't tell it in love, then you are a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, and it's not going to help anybody around you. So I want to end with this. Um, This week, Jesus gave me a dream. And in the dream, I I had like some young adults around me and we were all like, okay, my champion's gonna win. Who's your champion? My champion's gonna win. And I, and I was like, no guys, you don't know. My champion's gonna win. And everyone's champion comes out of the gate and we're in this huge coliseum. And I looked down and I'm like, okay guys, here's mine. And it's Jesus coming out on a white horse with eyes of fire. And I feel like I was like, Jesus, this is, I've never had a dream like this before. And I feel like he was like, what I wanna tell you is that I am your champion. Look into my eyes of fire and I will be the one that sets you free. That when you follow my teachings, when you abide in me, you're my disciples and you will know me and I'm the truth and that truth will set you free. Thank you, thank you. Man, wonderful job, guys. Y'all, thank you for having me. I, I love this church. Thank you to the, the pastoral team and my wife for hearing this message 18,000 times already. <laughs> In my Bible here, I, I like to keep these drawings my daughters have driven, drawn for me. I, all my Bibles have them and, and the reminders that they love me, that they follow my lead, that they trust me, they're relying on me to provide. And likewise, I keep them here in the Bible because it too is a love letter. It's a love letter from God, our father, the creator of heaven and earth. And it contains promises and blessings. And it shows how we got here, why we're here and how to get off and, and, and our legacy and, and that he is who he says he is and, and that we can trust him. And he says it through biblical math, biblical prophecy, and these true stories right here in scripture, such as in Genesis 22, when Abraham, the father of our faith, his faith was tested. Now, Abraham, at 75 years old, his wife was buried and had no children. God promised him a child, a son. He waited 25 years and at 100 years old, he had that son. A few years later, the Lord called him to sacrifice that blessing, that long-awaited promise. So he walks, he takes him on a three-day journey, 50-mile trek to Mount Moriah where he says, sacrifice your son on the altar. And as they're getting ready to climb, his son says, dad, <laughs> Where's the, where's the lamb for the, the offering? Not knowing he's the sacrifice. And Abraham with faith and trust says, the Lord will provide. Then it says here in verse nine, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. Imagine that right now. Can you imagine? Whew, your son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. 
Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there in a thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and enough, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Ladies and gentlemen, we are part of that, Right? The result of Abraham's obedience proved his love for God and that he trusted God. His trust in God's plan and his faith that God would provide led to fulfilled promises and blessings and increased blessings and more promises and a legacy. And it all started with trust. My wife and I, two and a half years ago, God called us into ministry. He told us to get rid of our job. He told us to give our savings away to the church. It made no sense. My family thought I was an idiot. <laughs> and we've been in ministry full time since, not knowing how we're gonna get by. On paper, we look poor. We are. Looks like we should be homeless. We're not. And our bills are always paid, somehow always on time. He also called us to start this Christ Fit Gym. Last November, he said, go out and do it. And then what we're going to be doing is sharing the gospel through exercise and events. The first one was started in Louisiana. Thousands of people have come to Christ through it. But here's the deal. We need $150,000 to get started and operated. We don't have that. Not too long ago, we did though, but he said, give it away. Made no sense. It made no sense, but we've been obedient. And I, I had a moment with God, I was struggling, right? I'm like, Lord, wh where's the money? We have some donations, but where's it at? And then on that same day, we had some bills due and my wife, is, she's stressed. So I went on a walk. I was angry with God. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing to us? I've given you everything. I've given you all of me. And then he took me back to 2000, 2005 when I was in the army and the infantry and operations and, he, and, the, and the missions we'd go on. And he, he reminded me of these improbable odds. And he said, you would trust these wicked, these, in, these fallible young men, your teammates with your life, never doubt once. You got shot and you still trusted them to get you out and complete the mission. When are you gonna trust me like that? When are you gonna put your life in my hands like that? Have I ever let you go without? No, sir. Have I ever broke a promise? No, sir. Have I performed miracles? Yes, sir. I went home, started crying to my, my wife. I started showing her on the whiteboard because I'm a whiteboard guy. She's crying. We repent, we pray. And guys, God is calling us to trust him, right? It's a sin not to trust him. Like Abraham, trusting God takes faith and a willingness to obey even when we don't understand. He's supernatural, right? Faith is not the opposite of fear. It's the courage to move through the fear. Let me say that again. Faith is not the opposite of fear. It's the courage to move through that fear. If God's calling you to sacrifice something right now, I'm telling you, it's worth it. If he's calling you to sacrifice yourself, and he is, it's worth it. You can't outgive God. Agape love is a giving love only. It's a sacrificial love. If he's calling you to give up your son, do it. Maybe you don't trust him with your finances. It's the only area you can test him on. Every day my wife and I are tested financially and he's never let us go without. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So can you trust God? 
Unequivocally, yes. The real question is, do you trust God? Do you trust him with your life? With your children? Would you sacrifice your son on Mount Moriah knowing God, the creator of heaven and earth is gonna give you something better, something more, bless you with a legacy, but you've gotta sacrifice. You've gotta be willing to give it away. What I've really found is God only lets me keep what I'm willing to give away. He's the most important thing I've ever had in my life. So again, the question really is, do you trust God? I believe there's some people in here right now that aren't trusting God. I believe there's some brothers and sisters in here right now that probably have some repenting to do. Maybe you're that dad who puts his job first and then goes home or goes to his buddy's house and drinks some beer. Maybe that's you. You're out of biblical order. You're not trusting God. Maybe you're the wife right now or the mother who, who your kids are everything in that household. You're out of biblical order. God, your spouse, your kids, and so on. It takes trust. Trust him. Trust him with everything. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. Before I came to Christ, I had this, this, this meme that said, I'm the solution to all my problems. Then I came to Christ and started getting learned. <laughs> What an idiot I was. I'm not the solution to all my problems. I'm the reason for all my problems. Jesus Christ is the solution. And I'm telling you right now, God is the solution. Jehovah Jireh. Put your trust in him tonight. I didn't think I'd make it in time. <laughs> praise God, praise God. Thanks so much, Joe, Seth, Greg. I'm telling you, it's really an honor to preach. You remember at the sound, when they were talking about 60 plus, you better get it in gear. Well, here I am. I'm also talking to all those other seniors, 60 and plus. You better get it in gear because God is moving and you don't want to miss it especially since you have so much to give. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here leading us, guiding us and giving us life. Lord, may we hear you and move with you and not be restrained. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to turn to Psalm 51. Since I only have eight minutes, we're going to move, we're going to do it. It's going to be a great groove. In Psalm 51, though, in verses 16 through 17, it says this. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And these, O oh God, you do not despise. David is talking in Psalm 51. That he's a broken man, but he is desperate. And the question is that he is lonely and he's desperate for God. My question for you is, why are you alone? Why are you alone? 
Now, I'm not talking socially alone. I'm talking about spiritually alone. And as David searches through this psalm, he comes to the conclusion that I could sacrifice at the temple, but that's not what you want. You want a broken and contrite heart. I remember when I was 19, second year in college, I thought I had it all together. I had my program, I had my list, I had my agenda, I had it all together. And then it all fell apart. It started to fall apart piece by piece by piece. And I became more and more desperate about my agenda. In fact, I got my friend together. We went and played racquetball. Way back then, racquetball was a good thing. And I tell you, I was swatting that, that ball so hard, it was squealing. <laughs> and then I took my racket, and I started to beat it on the ground. My friend didn't know what to do. And I just said, I, I've come to my end. And I ran to my dorm room, flopped on my dorm room bed there. And I said, God, I'm done. My agenda is not working. It was then that I heard the audible voice of God, which I don't hear too often, but this time I heard it. And he said this, are you done? I said, yeah. I have never been alone since. God did something in that. I had to bring my brokenness, my sacrifice to him. And when I finally laid it all out there, by his grace he brought incredible things. Remember, sacrifice is giving up something that I consider valuable for something more valuable And we want to hold on to these things that we think are so valuable. And I tell you, let them go. Grab a hold of heavenly things. This is what the sacrifice is about. And then look in verse 18. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. We see David says, when I bring my brokenness, you do something. You do good things. Now, wait a second. Jerusalem's walls are already built. So what is he talking about? The kingdom. Building up Zion, his presence, his kingdom, his agenda. Go to Romans chapter 12, if you will. Chapter 12, verse 1, we can finally understand what Paul is talking about when he talks about sacrifice. He says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And then, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in the eyes of God. We are a part of building up his kingdom. All right, and so I need you to understand that we offer a sacrifice to God, and then he rushes in with his presence He rushes in with his presence. Do you realize that the whole chapter in chapter 12 of Romans is all about spiritual gifts and using them and building up the body of Christ? Oh, we want the presence, we say. But do you want to give the sacrifice? I urge you today 
It's the body of Christ. You cannot just grab it and go. You've got to lay it down. And when you do, you will be overwhelmed with heavenly treasures. Okay, you see my, you see my hand? Everybody see, everybody's got a hand, right? You got hopefully two of them. And then they make shadows, right? Hands make shadows. Bodies make shadows. Wherever the hand goes, there's a shadow. Wherever the body goes, there's a shadow. Now, let me tell you what it means in Hebrew in the image of God. You're the shadow. Where God moves, you move with him. That's what it means. That's what it means to be filled with the presence of God. And it's not for you, it's for others. God moves. Even Jesus says, I see the Father move. I'm just verifying that. That's what we do as the church. When God moves, we just move with him. That's why all the spiritual gifts and all those are so important. And that you don't restrain and don't grieve the spirit. I am telling you. When there's a word of knowledge that God gives you, you give it. When there's a prophetic word, you speak it. The word of wisdom, you share instruction. And when there's discernment, you make it clear. Because when you lay it on the altar and you give all that you have humbly, God takes that and he will build his kingdom. And David knew that. Paul knew that. And I give that to you today. Lay it on the altar. And I tell you, God will multiply it further than you ever, ever imagined. Are you willing for his presence to come upon you? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy that we share as we tarry there, none other will ever know. What a way to start, right? Oh my goodness. Okay, I have to be faithful. Um, I have a word for a woman that is in this gray sweatshirt and um, the dark hair. Yes, you. I heard Psalm 139.5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And I just felt like this morning the Lord wanted to remind you that he is your defender. And because he is your defender, he hems you in on all sides. Do you receive that? Thank you. Okay. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? This morning, we are going to be reading out of Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. That You asked for it that I am going to be speaking about this morning is faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can dive into what it means to live by faith. And I believe, Lord, that you are going to take us from unbelief to belief by believing in faith for what you are to do in us. 
thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a child who was in a burning house. And as he was trying to escape, he came to a window seal. He climbed out. And as he was hanging on that window seal, the flames coming out of the window, he had a choice to make. He could stay there hanging on to the window seal, or he could drop down floors below to his death. As he was looking down, he saw a man, a strong man, come underneath him and say, son, drop down and I will catch you. The boy had a choice at that moment to hang on to the window seal and die or by faith drop down and allow this strong man to catch him. And how often do we hang on to the window seal of life for what we can control and what we can see instead of letting go and letting God by faith move us into the places he has for us? We sometimes do not see the forest because we are intently looking at the trees. So it is by faith that we get lost in the details and we can't see the big picture of what God is doing. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. To understand faith, we have to go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 says that God spoke creation into being. And if we believe by faith, this is the first time in Hebrews 11 that by faith is mentioned, that God spoke the world into being, then we have to believe everything else, every other word that the Bible says. We, but we don't believe in part, we believe in full. Faith and obedience go, to, go together. Each step requires obedience because in faith, just because I believe that something will happen in faith doesn't mean it's just going to happen. Faith takes action. And oftentimes, it takes wisdom. When I was reading through Jeremiah a few years ago, um, Jeremiah 30, verse 2, there's a verse that was highlighted to me. It said, write in a book every word you hear. And that was a challenge to me to write a book. I had to step out in wisdom in how to write the book. I'd never written a book before. I didn't know what I was doing. I just believed that God would work through me. And so what did I do? I studied authors and how they wrote and their process. Then I had to look at my calendar. Lord, help me. (laughs) Looked at my calendar. How early do I have to get up to write? And then guess what happened? By faith of me stepping forward and putting action to the faith that I believe that God was going to write a book. Not only did I write one book, but two books and three books and hopefully many more. This is what faith does. In Hebrews 11, the, the words by faith are mentioned 17 times in those 40 verses. And don't we know that when God repeats himself through the writers of Hebrews, he's trying to get a point across? So by faith, Abel offered to God an acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Enoch did not die, but was taken up to heaven for pleasing God. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed when God asked him to leave the land he lived in. By faith, Sarah, Abraham's wife, conceived in old age their son, Isaac. 
By faith, Isaac blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed each one of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph prophesied the exodus of the Israelites. By faith, Moses was hidden by his mother, and his life was saved. By faith, Moses chose to live with his people, the Israelites, instead of in the palace. By faith, Moses left Egypt. By faith, Moses kept the Passover so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, Moses led the Israelites through the parted Red Sea. By faith, Joshua led the Israelites around the walls of Jericho seven times. And by faith, Rahab did not perish in Jericho. Each one of these heroes and heroines had one thing in common. They chose by faith to let God direct their future. None of these heroes or heroines were commended for their faith in suffering while they were alive. Earth was not their fulfillment. Heaven was. Hebrews, Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God is a good father. He rewards his children. I've seen it in my own life. But God's rewards look different than what we would think on this earth. It's not riches. It's not fame. It's not your name being known. Life is, life is about this. It's about one being wholly submitted before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because without faith, just like our heroes and heroines, we cannot please God. They were not perfect. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to be perfect. They were obedient. And the word that I kept hearing was, by faith, let go and let God. And in closing this morning, I felt like I was supposed to um, read the benediction in Hebrews 13 over you and prophesy this as you receive it into your lives. Will you close your eyes with me? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as well, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Woo! Y'all ready, Heart of the City? Yeah. Holy Spirit, continue to have your way in this service in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about the value of investing time with Jesus. I think investing time is better than spending time. <laughs> There's an, that one was extra credit. So the, 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 my message is based upon Matthew 6, and it says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. I wish I had time to cover all of Matthew chapter six, but we're gonna emphasize those first two words. Seek first. Everybody say, seek first. This morning when you woke up, what were you seeking? I know my 909 crew was seeking the Lord. <laughs> what were you reaching for? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, what are you reaching for? You're reaching for something or you're reaching for someone. But we can't do both. 
You might be reaching for your phone. I've been guilty of that many, many days, many, many years, reaching for my first fruits being Facebook. You might be reaching for the remote to get filled up with the news because that's always so encouraging before you start your day. Or you might be reaching for substance. You might be reaching for pornography. You might be reaching for the word of God, the presence of God, the lap of Abba Father. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. That has changed my life in such a profound way. You know, recently as I was diving into seeking, the Lord gave me a picture. He helps me with pictures and analogies because I'm like at a a first grade level. And he showed me a picture of of an AM FM radio in a car. And we all know you press seek, it finds a radio station, right? Have you ever thought about when you press seek, it actually does not stop until a connection is made? Have you ever thought about that? By definition, seeking is not passive. I could sit up here and look at you, that is passive, but in that moment, there's no discovery, there's no seeking, there's no action. I actually think seeking can be aggressive. Parents, if you lost your child at the mall today, would you just casually browse and like, well, I guess we didn't find him, we'll just make another, no. You would seek him until you found them. If you diligently seek me, you will you'll find me. But we're at war. With, uh, we are at war. Does anybody feel like they are more busy? I think our generation is the busiest generation on planet earth today. Does anybody agree with that? We are so busy being busy. And if we're not intentional, we can fool ourselves into thinking our busyness is significance. But I actually think a lot of times it's artificial significance. We're, the body of Christ, it breaks my heart that we are just too busy for Jesus. If it stings a little bit, it's in love, okay? The greatest commandment is what? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as your? If If we're called to love God and love our neighbor, it's gonna require one precious resource, which is time. Love requires time. I learned that when I got married and I learned that again when I had kids. For those that have kids, you know your kids don't spell love, L-O-V-E. How do they spell love? T-I-M-E. They demand your time and attention. Otherwise, there's no connection. There's no, they don't feel heard or seen. My kids, they just want time with their daddy. Do you want time with yours? I want to give you an acronym with the remaining time that I have, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just the tip of the iceberg. But when you invest time with Jesus, your life can be transformed in many areas. Here's four of them. Number one, T starts with trust. Robbie killed it last night talking about trust. But let's be honest. If we don't actually know him, how well are you going to trust him? We might call him Lord and say, Lord, I trust you, but your life live will reveal the evidence of whom you trust. I is for intimacy. John 17, three says this, um, this is eternal life that we might know him. Before you expire this side of heaven, there is nothing more important than you knowing God and him knowing you. We're gonna come back to that in a moment. The third letter is M and it's for maturity. He He desires us to have childlike faith, amen? He just doesn't want us to go through our entire life with childlike maturity. As we pursue the Father and we come to know Him and our identity in Christ, we come to know where our secure confidence lies. That's the Hebrew definition of trust. And so when storms come, and this is a spoiler alert, we're not immune to storms, are we Christians? 
they still come. But when they come, the difference is, is I know who I am and whose I am. So I don't bow to the storm. I don't surrender to the storm. I don't compromise in the storm because the storm is not Lord. He is. Amen. Come on. The last letter is E and it's for empowerment. When we invest time with Jesus, we become empowered by his Holy Spirit. It's the dutimous miracle working power, walking in love and power. But don't forget intimacy. If you try to walk in power apart from intimacy, you will surely compromise purity. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. So recently our men's group, we did a uh, 30-30 challenge. I challenged the men. Some of them are already seeking the Lord, amen. But I challenged them for 30 days, seek the Lord for a minimum of 30 minutes and just watch what happens. This is not some legalism, check a box. This is to develop a discipline that will eventually become a lifestyle because the more you eat in the kingdom, the hungrier you become. Here's a testimony from one guy that was maybe uh, throwing up a quick prayer on his two mile commute. I think he's here this morning. He might've read a scripture every other day. Here's what he had to say after 30 days. It's hard to put into words what he's done in me and through me these last 30 days. It has changed everything, everything capitalized. It's unlocked spiritual gifts I didn't even realize I had. It's allowed me to share his love with strangers and most importantly, know him like I've never known him. That's not decades of seeking the Lord. That's 30 minutes after 30 days. The dude is on fire. He's praying for everybody. He started a YouTube channel just so he could share the testimonies of what's overflowing out of his life. Powerful. What would it look like if we all did that? I say we find out, J.O. I say we found out. If you would just stand up, stand up where you are. I want you to close your eyes. I have a challenge for you. And the reason I want your eyes closed is because I don't want you raising your hand because you think someone's looking at you and you want to feel and look all spiritual. This is a challenge between you and the Father. We're not doing a sign-up sheet, a group picture, social media, nothing. This is if you say yes, let your yes be yes. If you're gonna seek, and you might already be seeking the Lord 30 minutes a day, give him 45. I promise you 30 minutes a day is like eating a cracker for breakfast. It just ain't enough. If you're gonna give him your first fruits for the next 30 days, I want you to throw your hand up in the air right now. Right now, if you're willing to give him your first fruits, there's hands all over this place. Father, I thank you for those that are saying yes to your word, yes to your presence. God, would you reveal yourself in a greater way? Would you transform their lives, put it on display to bring you glory? Amen. Amen. Man, I'm shaking. I'm shaking. Oh, Lord's going to have to help me today. I'll tell you what, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like seeing somebody baptized and come up and be set free. Amen. There's two things in my life that will make me cry. It's my, my wife and my son, and then the Lord and seeing him set people free. And so I'm going to have to, if I, if I start to cry, you'll have to forgive me because when the Lord moves on me, I, I weep. <laughs> well, if there's anything that you need to know about me, it's that I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. 
And, and I want to tell you a story today, if you'll entertain me for a moment, of a young boy, 17 years old, who struggled very intently with this idea of hearing from God. For his entire life, there were many times where he found himself in moments where, where he would hear a thought that would say, you're worthless, you're horrible, you, 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 you can't do this, you'll never be able to do this. I'm starting heavy, y'all, sorry. <laughs> and then there would be moments of clarity and happiness, and there was this back and forth, back and forth, all the time, back and forth, where to the point where this young boy thought he might be bipolar. That there was, these, there, was this, there was this battlefield that was going on between his ears. And there was a war being waged in his mind. And so today I want to talk to you about that boy who was me and the battlefield of my mind. And so I want to talk to you about this battlefield. When I first came to Jesus, like I said, I struggled with the concept of hearing from the Lord. And it wasn't until I began to be taught about the word of the Lord and the things of God and, and thinking about those things of God that I began to walk truly and fully in this battlefield. I was engaged and I became the general of my battlefield. And a scripture that, that, that pulled me into this place of understanding is a scripture that is found in Romans 12, verse 2. You may know this scripture. It's a powerful scripture. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. By the renewing of your mind so that, everybody say so that, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, help me and help them. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> hey, listen, just because we're eternal doesn't mean we need to be everlasting, amen? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I want to take a look at this word conformed. The word conformed means to comply with rules, standards, or laws. To act in accordance with wishes or commands. See, there's something that we can do is we can agree with something. We can agree with somebody. Somebody says something, you like how it sounds, you say, I agree with that. Exactly, thank you, J.O. <laughs> I can agree with things. And when I come into agreement with something, I then say, this is going to be a part of who I am and what I do. To be conformed of the world is to come in agreement with what the world is saying about you. How many of you have said this? Oh, I'm just stupid. You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> How many of you said this? Well, I just mess things up a lot. Oh, I lose things all the time. Oh yeah, you know, I just can never get it right. See that right there is coming into agreement with the world. You come into agreement with something when you begin to declare it over yourself, right? So when you are conformed of the world, listen, you don't have to look like some crazy sinner who's going out murdering people or anything like that to be conformed to the world. To be conformed to the world is just to agree with what it's saying about you. But the Bible says, do not be conformed, but be 
What is it? Transformed. This word is significant. To be transformed is to make a thorough or dramatic change in form, appearance, or character. I want to expand on this for a moment. In Matthew 17, it uses the very same word that's used here to describe Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says he was transfigured in front of them and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. This, you guys, means that there is a tangible change that is noticeable to the people that are in front of Jesus. To be transformed is to have something tangibly change in your life that is noticeable to the people who are in front of you. And it says, by the renewing of your mind, you will be transformed. Now, my mind was all over the place, crazy, back and forth, all over. And I didn't know what the voice of God was until I began to quiet my mind and listen See, the Bible says whatever is true, right, pure, holy, righteousness of good report, praiseworthy, think on these things. Intentionally fill your mind with the things of God. And in that moment, you begin to hear, quiet, listen, and then speak the things of God over your life. And in this moment, God will begin to speak to you. He will speak to you so that... So that implies that there's a prerequisite to the next thing coming. So that means I had to do this to get here. You want to hear the voice of God, but some of us haven't come out of agreement with the old things. You cannot put new wine into an old wineskin because it will burst. It will burst. We need to be new. Galatians 2.20 for I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. You can't be new if you're old. You can't be new if you're old. So I'm here to tell you today, I'm gonna ask you a question. Have you been asking to hear God's voice? Are you conformed or are you transformed? Does your mind still linger on the things of old? If you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. If you want to walk daily in the spirit of discernment, you must first conquer the battlefield of your mind. You must walk in the way of the Lord. Get into his word. And like Adam preached last, last session, seek first daily. So my, my challenge to you today is, Get rid of all the things and thoughts in your mind and begin to walk truly and fully in the word of God and what he has for you. Wow, was that amazing or what? That was amazing. Look, I gotta, I gotta ask something really quick. I gotta be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So media booth, I already pre-approved this with uh, Pastor J.O., but don't start the clock yet. Um, don't start it, don't start it. 
So as we were leading up to uh, this sermon series, you asked for it, New Voices, uh, the lineup of all of these amazing voices uh, was set weeks and weeks ago. And we were all tasked with coming up with a very independent uh, uh, eight-minute sermon uh, based off of what you guys asked for. Uh, so it was Thursday morning, and I'm very well on my way to my sermon uh, being complete and the final touches on it uh, on John 14, 15. Um, and I'm going to talk to you guys today about obedience. Uh, but God drew me towards this verse, uh, Romans 12, 2. Um, and so I wrote this verse down. Um, and I just didn't know what to do with it. And, and I was being torn because of the, the, the actual um, practicality of changing my sermon that late in the game. So I write it down and I, I swear to you, not more than an hour later as I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do with this, I get a voice text from another brother in the church, Cody Spencer, unsolicited, that is praying for me um, just over my, over my preaching and that just God would speak through me. And then he immediately follows up with a written text that says, I don't know what you're going to preach on, but the Holy Spirit told me this morning that he wants to encourage you with Romans 12 too. <laughs> And I'm like, wow, God, like, how can I deny this? This is the Holy Spirit. So I immediately call Pastor Craig and I start talking about the practicalities of changing my, my sermon. And, and, he, and through that conversation, he discovers that we already have Romans 12, 2 being preached on by another preacher. And that preacher didn't just happen to be somebody at Saturday night or 909 Sunday morning. It happened to be Henry, who was the lineup right before me. And then it hit me. Romans 12, 2 is the precursor to what I'm about to preach on of obedience. It is the precursor. And if that wasn't good enough, showed up this morning for heart prep. And as we're praying, and Seth is praying and prophesying, Seth starts to pray about God and prophesying that God is intertwining all of these messages together for his kingdom and for his glory. And so I just it would be remiss if I did not share this with you guys. So God, isn't God good? Amen. Amen. So timer. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Tyler Alvarado. Uh, I'm a God-loving entrepreneur, and I'm the CEO of a local tech startup called Continuous Composites. Um, I'm humbled here to talk to you today about finding purpose through obedience. Finding purpose through obedience. <clears throat> um, so, you know, you guys submitted this through many questions. What's my worth? How do I find my purpose? Uh, and the scripture God led me to was John chapter 14, verse 15, which says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. I just pray that as I deliver your word, that you would speak through me, that I would be minimized and you would be amplified, Father God, that you would create uh, open hearts to hear, Father God, that they would believe the truth and that there would be a reasonable response through obedience to your commandments and calling for our life and that true purpose would be found. In your name we pray, amen. So guys, I'm really excited to talk to you guys about finding purpose through obedience because it just has such a near and dear place in my heart. Um, you know, I'd like to uh, talk to you guys about who I am a little bit. Uh, you probably don't know me, but you've likely heard one of my notorious, let's go! <laughs> you've probably heard that. Um, and then my wife leans over and, and she's much quieter and soft-spoken and says, where are we going, honey? 
it's just a beautiful dichotomy that, that God has interwoven. Um, you know, there's synergies between our relationship. If you don't mind standing up, honey, and the kids, please, too. Um, God, talk about purpose. This is one of my purposes as a father of three, soon to be four in three weeks, and I am just so blessed on that. So ch- go ahead. Children are such a gift from God. As a father, my job is to lead, protect, and guide my children into the purpose of their life. My heart and my instruction for these children is good and it's rooted in love. But the reality is it's an imperfect instruction because I'm an imperfect human being. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some have sinned, all have sinned. You and I, we all have sinned. And so I want to tell you guys that there's only one father who has perfect instruction, and that's our heavenly father. And he has perfect instruction because he, he created us in his image. He has a specific purpose for us, and he gives us instruction to walk out in that purpose. You see, God uniquely equipped each and every one of us with gifts and talents. So how do we find our purpose with these gifts and talents? We all have a natural desire to live out this purposeful life. We, we all want to feel valued, but oftentimes we walk aimlessly and we find ourselves turning to things of the, of the world, trying to find purpose, whether it's work, money, sex, drugs, alcohol, even religious legalism. The reality is if we're at peace with God, we're at war with the sin in our lives. But, but if we... If we are at peace with a sin in our lives, we are at war with God. Many of us find ourselves in this internal war with God because we allow sin to take root in our heart. This, this, this war in our heart then manifests itself into fear, anxiety, depression, greed, sexual immorality, suicidal thoughts, envy, and the list goes on. So where do we start? God has given us the roadmap for a living, a purposeful life right here. He has given us his commandments and told us how to live. He sent his son to show us how to live. And, and, and all we have to do is obey. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now this is written by John the Baptist on the eve before Jesus is gonna be crucified. And he's trying to speak to his disciples and put their fear and anxiety at peace because they're, they're scared that he's leaving. And he's, he's just telling him about his promises, uh, but they're right there written. Um, so what does it mean to obey God's commandments? It means putting our faith into action and living out the principles that Jesus has already taught us. But obedience is not always easy. Sometimes it requires us to make sacrifices and get really uncomfortable and take risks. Despite the challenges that obedience creates, it's worth it. When we obey God's commandments, we align ourselves with his will for our lives. We see the world through his his eyes and we come into alignment with our hearts with his. We invite his favor into our lives and we experience his peace, joy, and love in our hearts. And through obedience, we discover the true purpose for our life, the true meaning. So how do we cultivate this obedience in our lives? First, we must begin cultivating a deep love for God. And Henry just spoke to this on Romans 12 too, the precursor. You cannot love that who you do not know. 
So if you don't know God, you gotta start there. God is Lord, God is Savior, He is sovereign, and He is our Creator. You cannot know God without spending time with Him. So you must seek Him through prayer, through studying His Word, and through fellowship with other believers, aka small groups. And we must allow his love to transform us, to renew our minds, resulting in us aligning our hearts with his heart. Second, we must seek to live in obedience to his commandments, even when it's difficult. I'm not talking about obedience in a legalistic sense. I'm talking about obedience that pours out an abundance of love for Christ and for who he is and what he's done for us. We must strive to follow Jesus' example, living out his teachings, and we have to ask the Holy Spirit who can live inside of us to empower us and help us overcome the obstacles that we are gonna face in life as we are living out his true purpose and being obedient to his calling on our life. And third, we must trust in God's goodness and faithfulness, even when we don't understand his ways. We have to know his truths and his truths are that he has a plan for us and those plans are good for us and he will never leave us or forsake us and he will be with us no matter what. Let me tell you, I grew up in a Christian home. I labeled myself a Christian. I knew of God, but I didn't actually know God and I definitely didn't obey his commandments. I was a very disciplined person in most aspects of my life uh, except for my spiritual life. I had very little discipline in my spiritual life. But from the outside looking in, it looked like I had purpose in my life. I had a beautiful family, children, food over my, on the table, roof over my head, great job. But the reality was I was fighting an internal battle because I was living at war with God because I was, I was okay, comfortable with the sin that was inside of me. About five or six years ago, I made a conscious decision to actually start putting in effort to know God. I started waking up at 5 a.m., spending time in the Word, devotionally praying, uh, thanks uh, Bible time. I started getting involved in a small group and being real and raw and vulnerable. And I began to fall in love with God. And my natural desire was to respond obediently to Him. I started experiencing Him in a real and relevant way through prophetic, through prayer, through uh, devotional Bible time. And through that, I was able to experience God's true purpose. And this was a daily experience that I continued to have. When you mix his instruction with scripture and obedience, there's a radical healing that takes place. All right, I'm gonna keep going because God's going. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you I'm going because I have tasted God's grace, his goodness, and I'm never going back there. And I want the same for you guys. I want the same for you guys. Our heavenly father's commandments and instructions are perfect. Say perfect. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Obedience is the proof of genuine love. It's the byproduct of our love for him. Obedience is not an obligation. It is an opportunity. Jesus' commandments and instructions may not always make sense to us, but they are like guardrails directing us down the path and purpose that he has created for us. And then obedience to these commandments and instructions will bring you freedom. They will bring you joy. They will bring you healing. They will bring you redemption. So if you want to find and experience your true purpose, you must be obedient to God. Thank you.
Wow. I just want to thank the preaching team for this wonderful opportunity to come up here and, and, and humble myself. Uh, my first time to be on the big stage and I get to preach on fear and anxiety. <laughs> that seems kind of fitting. <laughs> when I saw how many people put fear and anxiety on their you asked for it list, I knew that God was speaking to me. You see, if you're born into the Jason Lowry family, the doctor's like, you get a Xanax, you get a Xanax, and you get a Xanax. Fear and anxiety, it, have you ever noticed it, it can come when you least expect it? I was coaching soccer on a beautiful Idaho day where I was in shorts and a tank top, and by the end of practice, there were two inches of snow on the ground. And I was freezing, and I was wet, and, 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 and I was cold. And this mom said to me, Jason, you're going to get hypothermia. And that statement began to loop in my mind. And I began to ruminate on that. And the truth is, is I didn't have hypothermia. But our mind is such a powerful thing. By the time I got to the ER, my temperature was almost 80 degrees. <laughs> and the doctor's like, get a grip. You don't have hypothermia. <laughs> get a grip. Have you ever had that gripping feeling of fear and anxiety? Your heart feels like it's about to pound out of your chest. Your knees are shaking. You can't even move. You can't breathe. You can't even think. I know I have. But here's the thing. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear. Lord, thank you that you give us power, that you love us, that you give us a sound mind. And mostly, mostly, mostly thank you, Lord, that you give us your Holy Spirit, our best friend. And I ask that that's what everyone hears today, that you empty me out, that I'm in an empty vessel, and the Holy Spirit speaks in Jesus' name. Anxiety. Fear. You can see it gripping people today and throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve hid from God out of fear. Abraham, our father of faith, lied to Pharaoh and said, This isn't my wife, <laughs> out of fear. The prophet Elijah was so gripped by anxiety that he ran to a cave. And he wanted to commit suicide. And Moses. When God calls Moses back to Egypt, he is so gripped by fear, five times he makes up different excuses about why he can't do God's will. I wonder, how many times have we missed out on God's will because we were gripped by fear? You see, Moses was gripped by his past. See, the last time he was in Egypt, 
he had to leave because Pharaoh wanted to kill him because Moses had killed an Egyptian. So often, something in our history, something in our past is gripping onto us. What are we running from? See, in Exodus chapter 4, God says to Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. And God says, throw it on the ground. And he does, and it becomes a snake. What are we gripping onto that we think is so important, but it's actually a snake? What snakes are you running from? But wait, see, the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end there for you. It doesn't end there for me. And it doesn't end there for Moses. Then the Lord says to Moses, reach out your hand and take the snake by the tail. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And he tells us to take that snake by the tail. And he says, I give you power and dominion and authority over all snakes, over anxiety and over fear. You see, God tells Moses in Exodus four seventeen, take this in your hand. And Moses does fulfill God's will, and he does go back to Egypt with the staff of God in his hand. The Lord your God says, my staff, my rod, my power. Because God gave us a spirit of power and a sound mind. And he is waiting for us to grip onto it. He is waiting for us to step into it. But Jason, I can't. My knees are shaking so bad, I can't step into it. It might be time to kneel on them instead. It might be time to pray without ceasing because 1 Thessalonians 5 says that that is God's will for our life. You see, no more excuses. We don't need them. And by the way, when that snake tries to slither back in your head and tries to loop around your mind, let that looping be on Jesus and grip onto the living, breathing word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's ready to cut off the snake's head for every fear and every anxiety and everything in your life. So now what? No longer just hear the word of God. No longer just read the word of God. But believe what the infinite creator of the universe has to say about each one of you. That he did not give you a spirit of fear. But of love and power and a sound mind. And so I ask you, my friends, are you ready to get a grip on the only thing worth gripping onto?
let's give it up for Pastor J.O. and Ray Dean, okay? Come on, come on, come on. Come on, honor them, honor them. We honor you. Yes, God. I'm honored to be here and we honor you. Real quick, as I was sitting there, the Lord was highlighting this family to me. There was three rows back. It was, yes, you, girl, boy, girl, boy, you're in black, 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 black. Yeah, you guys right there. I heard the Lord say over you on the end, yeah, you, um, no, right behind you, third row, I'm sorry. Yeah, third row, yes. Uh huh. The Lord wants to give you hope. Hope, hope. God has hope for you in the future. I heard the Lord say favor over you. God's going to release favor on your life. And it, I believe it has to do with your career. And then you, the third girl. Yeah, yeah, you. you yeah, you mind looking at me? Yeah, the Lord, the Lord said over you today, he is going to give you joy. Joy, 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 joy. And I, are you the, the family? Are you the father? No, you're just here. You're just with them. I just felt like the Lord said that there's freedom, though, over you in the blue shirt. And there's something about freedom that's going to overflow into people around you. And the, the young man, you right there, God's going to use you in your lifetime. And you're going to bring people to Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for what he's about to do. I've been praying and interceding for you guys. I've lost a lot of sleep. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know, anytime I get up here to do something, I'm like the night before, the, you know, the week before, I'm like, God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And he does. He's gracious. He's kind. He's loving. He does. He helps. The title of this message that the Lord gave me is called to arise and shine called to arise and shine. You know, J.O. and Ray Dean answered a call. And if they didn't, I don't believe we would be here today. They answered a call of greatness. And we are now walking in the overflow of that call to greatness. How many of you have felt like, man, there's something more in life and I'm just not experiencing it yet. But you know that there's something greater on the inside of you. You know that there's, there's almost this, this greatness, this grander, but you feel kind of small on the inside. God is coming to you today to speak a message to your heart, to affirm the greatness of God in your life. If you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you, the kingdom of heaven is on the inside of you. There is the almighty God that is on the inside of you. Who am I speaking to today? How many of you believe that there's something greater on the inside that you're called to? All right, let's pray and then I'm gonna just jump into the message. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for speaking today, God. Use me as your mouthpiece, God. Hide me, hide me in the cleft of the rock as you pass by. Let your glory be revealed today. God, speak directly to hearts and minds, God, and bind every demonic spirit that would try to stop the move of the Holy Spirit in this house. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So Isaiah 60 verse one, it says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Let me just tell you a little bit of background about this scripture before we jump into the context. At the time that this was written, the Israelites, which were God's people, were exiled. God chose to use Isaiah as a prophet to speak this word out. When you think of Isaiah, you can think of like Christmas time, um, him prophesying, for unto us a child is born and the government is on his shoulders. Yes, that's a foretelling prophecy. It's similar with this scripture. And you might be asking, who is Isaiah? 
Isaiah anyway. Isaiah was thought to be a scribe in the royal palace. I'm like, okay, he had a pretty good job. Okay, you know, he probably had a gold pen with the feather, right? You know, I'm a scribe, you know, but the reality was this ordinary man who had a you know pretty good job, he ended up encountering extraordinary one day this ordinary man ended up coming out of darkness and beginning to walk in the fullness of the light I wonder how many people want to come out of what's been holding you back to walk in the fullness of your calling I wonder how many people in here know that there's something greater that you're called to walk in it's the kingdom of God within you the kingdom of God is within you Thank you, Jesus. So if we look back at, at this word Isaiah spoke over the Israelites, man, I so recognize with him because a nobody came to meet a somebody. Maybe some of you feel like you're a nobody and you need hope today. You need freedom today. Somebody whose name is Jesus is here to meet you today to give you a calling, a destiny, and a purpose today. God wants to call you out of the shadows into the marvelous light. There is greatness on your life. There is greatness. So if we look at that specific word, arise, that in the original context, it means to stand or to stand up from out of where? Out of darkness. And I'm gonna read it. So it's not going to be up there. Just, just, just listen. For, be, for behold, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear over you. Thick darkness has tried to hold you down and blind you from the truth, but the glory of the Lord wants to rise upon you today. He wants to reveal his truth to you today. Yes, that's something on the inside of you that's been saying, man, I know there's more. I'm just walking and I'm just going through the motions. God's coming to awaken his bride to the reality of the greatness of God on the inside of you. I had a vision and I prayed about this. I was like, Lord, what do you want me to speak on? And I had a vision and I was like eating food. I was actually at the preacher's course and uh, at Pastor Craig and Jessica's, Jessica's house. And I saw this great light is a radiant light. And out of this light came this army of God and they were radiating light. And in them, there was no darkness. Zero. How many of you know that you are called to walk in the light fully without any darkness? Thank you, Jesus, that he died to set you free from darkness. And there is a God who is fighting for you today. The enemy has been fighting you in your destiny, in your calling, and your purpose, and your identity to walk in the fullness of God. But God is fighting for you today. How many of you believe that God is fighting for you today? God is fighting for his bride today. So that word shine means to become light, to arise or become light. So if we read that again, become light for your light has come. You're like, wait, who's the light? God is the light, but we are in the light. We must become more like the light. That's the transformation of our mind. We want God to do everything in our destiny, but we gotta put some work in. We gotta grab a hold 
of the Bible and begin to declare it over our life. The Lord helped me understand this. It was like a room. This is actually just last night. It was like a room and the light switch went on and all of a sudden the darkness in the room went, it left. But there were certain objects that were in the room that was stopping the light from consuming everything. What objects in your mind are still there that God has not placed there? What objects in your mind of rejection, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, rage are still in your mind that God wants to move out of the way today? God is saying to you, your highest calling is to know him and then reflect him back to the world around you. Let me repeat that in these last few seconds. Your highest calling is to know God and reflect him back to the world around you. As you begin to understand the light of God, you're gonna begin to reflect the light of God and you're gonna walk in the greatness of God. And I just believe on the count of three, we're all gonna stand and we're gonna declare that we are arising and shining. If you believe this message is for you, I want you to arise and shine and anything that's been holding you back last year or this year, you're gonna arise in the name of Jesus. One, two, three, Rise! Come on, give God praise. Come on, come on, give God praise. Come on, give God praise. Give God praise. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.